Psalm 1 is a blessing psalm, if you hadn't noticed, right? How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked? And the psalm is going to highlight the differences between really two paths, the path of foolishness and the path of wisdom. It doesn't necessarily use those words, but as you follow along these parallel ideas in the passage, it sounds a lot like Proverbs, right? The path of the fool versus the path of the wise. And each path is indicated by different decisions, associations, and outcomes. So on one hand, if you look at the foolish, verse 1 They walk in the advice of the wicked. They make decisions based on what wicked people tell them to do. And what happens as a result? Look at verse verse 4. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff. Right? the, The image of chaff is that the wind blows it away and it moves around and it's not stable. And the the end result of this, the outcome of this path, is found in verse 4. Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment. They are judged by God. Now, the other path, the path that this psalmist says makes you happy, the path that we, I believe, is a path of wisdom, says in verse 2 that he delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. Rather than receiving instruction from wicked people, the happy person receives instruction from God himself. And as a result, in verse uh, verse 3, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams. Right? What does a tree need constantly? It needs water. And when the the blessed or happy person, exactly, they uh, receive their instruction from the Lord. It's like their roots have been planted down by by a river. It's a picture of stability. It's a picture of security. And it's a picture of flourishing. And ultimately, verse five, I'm sorry, verse six, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The result is that they are known by God. They are loved and cared for and protected by him. All right, that's Psalm 1. We're done. No, I'm kidding. No, there there is here in this passage something that I think we need to learn and we need to dig into because Psalm 1 is the only place where this particular word, how happy, Or in other versions, it says blessed. In every other occurrence in Scripture, it's always accompanied by a positive statement, a positive action of the person. They they, uh, unequivocally trust God. They submit to his word and follow his ways. But this is the only passage where this word is used that it's accompanied by a negative. There is something that the the happy person does in which they remove something from their life. 
right? They, and if, if they're going to be happy, if they're going to add happiness to their life, there is something that they're removing. Hence, the addition by subtraction. See, we tend to think of, of happiness in God or blessedness in God as something entirely passive, right? I'm blessed by God. That means he's given me something. I'm receiving it. And yet, in this passage, what we see is that there is something required of us. If we know who God is, it requires us to make decisions that reflect the reality of who he is. And in this case, I believe that Psalm 1 teaches us an important lesson. And that is, you will not experience the full blessing of God if you are unable to discern the influences of different relationships. The weight of responsibility is on the blessed person, the person who is happy, to learn to say no. When they hear the advice or the counsel of the wicked person, do they have to do it? No, they don't. They do not have to listen to the advice of the ungodly. But here's the thing. It's not easy. Satan is a liar, and he's really smart. And he knows the Bible probably better than you do. His advice will be carted in on a Trojan horse and begin to undermine your life in ways you don't realize until it's too late. His advice will play on your emotions and manipulate you because he will use every dirty trick in the books to get you off the path of holiness and blessing. He wants to destroy your life and then turn around and blame it on God so that you hate Him. And He's going to do it, get this, through people you know and maybe even people you love. Right? That's the rub here in Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. And there's a progression here. The first step is you've received advice, right? And walking implies that you're now doing it. And then what happens is you start walking in this advice. That means that you're standing in the pathway. Remember the two pathways that I referenced? The path of wisdom versus the path of foolishness. All of a sudden, in ways you don't even realize, your life has begun to go a direction that you don't want it to go, and it's a, it's a pathway associated with sinners. And then it finally leads to this place. You are sitting in the company of mockers. And I, I prefer what the ESV says. It says that you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. And I think what's implied here is that in the Jewish culture, the position of authority, the position of a teacher was one of sitting. Is one of sitting. And there's this progression, this flow in our lives of how temptation 
finds its way in. And we may not even realize it. We may not realize that the advice that we're receiving is putting us on a pathway that's going to turn us against God. And the wicked person, the sinner, the mocker, who is that? It's easy to read those and think that that's out there, that's somebody, you know, doing something really terrible. Well, the last time I looked in the mirror, but by the grace of God, that's who I am. See, we're all capable, I think, based on what this passage says, of of ending up being sitting in the seat of a scoffer and turning people away from God. Relationships are full of complexity and nuance. And I think just a, a, just a, a quick overlook of relationships in the life of Jesus, and you see this same thing, right? You know, Jesus in the book of Luke is often referred to as a friend of sinners, right? He, he was even called a glutton and a drunkard, right? Because he hung out with the worst of the worst in society. He was showing them a welcome, a welcomeness and a kindness and a love that often was not extended to them. But on the other hand, he taught his disciples, Matthew 10, 14, if anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the house or town. Huh? Right? Complexity. Nuance. Jesus also taught us to honor our father and mother. But he also said, right, in Matthew 8, 21 uh, and 22, he's teaching a disciple. This disciple says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own. Jesus also taught us to go into the world and make disciples. But Scripture also teaches us that we should be separate from the world. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with the idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And this really is just a few examples. I could also talk about Jesus flipping tables and Paul running from martyrdom. But I think the point is clear. It's a point we already understand. Relationships are incredibly complex and nuanced. It requires, if we want to be this blessed man that's planted by a river whose 
fruit is growing, whose leaves are green, who is prospering. It requires that we grow in discernment and ability to recognize good and evil and its many nuances. We have to learn to say no. We have to learn that even our closest relationships do not take precedence over our relationship to God. See, at the heart of the issue is the allegiance of your heart. Where do your allegiances lie? And here's the reality, right? We know God exists. He's out there. He's seated in the heavens. But I'm living with my wife or my kids, right? We tend to live in the present and what I can touch and what I can feel and what I can see. And we are, we are susceptible to peer pressure, right? We are susceptible to what other people's opinions are. We want to make them feel loved, cared for. We don't want to threaten the relationship. Why? Because we, wanted, we received something from that too. Right? We receive belonging. We receive validation because I didn't turn somebody away. But our relationships and our own hearts are far more complex and we have to learn to recognize and see both the allegiance of the people that we're listening to and the allegiance of our own heart. It is too easy to begin drifting away from Jesus slowly, step by step, in, in such small increments, you don't even know it. And then one day you wake up and your whole value system, your whole belief system is gone and you are sitting in the company of scoffers. You will not experience the full blessing of God if you are unable to discern the influences of different relationships. I, this, this truth honestly hits so close to me. This is a lesson that I have had to learn and to walk out in ways that honestly I, I wouldn't wish for anyone. I love my dad dearly. I haven't spoke to him in five years. My mom is an incredibly unhealthy person. I haven't talked to her in 15 years. And yet, if I were to be in those relationships, I would be experiencing abuse and manipulation and a type of mental torture that would threaten my own heart and walk with God. The decision to be out of those relationships is really a decision for my allegiance to God himself. And that's hard. It's hard to take something that you love so much, right? We are built. We were born into families. We want to be connected to our families. It is so incredibly hard to not be in relationship with my family. Yet, God has tested my allegiance to him in the context of the brokenness of those relationships. 
And I'll be honest with you, I, it's kind of weird. The first couple years that these bro- this brokenness existed were some of the hardest years of my life. I visited pain that I didn't know I needed to need to visit in my own heart. God was exposing trauma and hurt that was forming my my relationships and even my relationship with God in ways that I didn't understand. It was it shaped everyday life in ways that I couldn't even verbalize to that point. And now 2020 which for most people is a really terrible year, has been the best year of my life. I can testify to the faithfulness and truth of God from this passage, that when you do the hard things, when you learn to say no, really what you're doing is you're placing your confidence in God himself to be your father, to look after you and care for you. And you know what he does? He does it. He does care for you. He becomes your father. There's three relationships that I think are currently robbing Christians of their full happiness in God. And we'll just kind of close out our time just kind of going over um, three of these. Um, And these are different kinds of relationships that I'm going to bring up because the way that we receive advice in this day and age has, has evolved, hasn't it? It used to be that you had to talk to someone person to person to get advice. And then you could read a book and you could receive advice. And now we have the internet. We have Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, right? It's endless. Plus, we have TV, right? There's a lot of ways that we receive advice in our lives. And the first thing that I want to challenge you with to consider is your relationship with media. Maybe it's social media. You go on there, and there is a litany of bad news, a litany of different people's opinions about the world and what's going on in it. Or maybe you're trapped into listening to your favorite talking head or influencer and you find that your heart is anxious, you feel out of control. I would suggest to you that media has taken place of allegiance to God. I would suggest that maybe you need to stop taking advice from them. Put away the social media. Turn it off. You know, the blessed man, instead his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Have you tried that? Have you tried meditating on God's word rather than focusing in on social media? Second, our relationship with toxic people. Now, I want to be clear. I believe that there's really toxic people, and then there's those people that we call toxic people. Sometimes we like to label people that we don't like or their opinions as toxic just because it's a different opinion than ours. But if you have lived with a toxic person, you know 
that this is a real reality. Somebody is, they use their voice and influence in your life to degrade you, and, and they always want themselves to be at the center. They are trying to tell a story and shape everyone around, around them, around that story, and that is that they are the center of the world, and everything that you do is wrong, and you need to give your allegiance to them. And I know for a fact that there are people, and, and, and here's the thing, I've, I've lived this, I'm still living it, that trauma was the number one voice in your life for the first 20 to 30 years of your life. That the shame and condemnation and abuse verbally, mentally, physically, sexually shapes you, has shaped you. And it's hard because the way that a toxic person puts themselves in relationship is that they're always a victim. And so whenever you try to step away and get out of the relationship, they want to guilt you and pull you back in. It is incredibly hard to break that relationship with a toxic person. But godly, healthy relationships are authentic, genuine, and mutual. Right? If somebody isn't able to be humble, or you're not able to be your real self around them and be open about your struggles without them using it in some way against you, it's not a healthy relationship. And I, I know for a fact that that is undermining your own relationship with God. Because that narrative, honestly, sets itself over against the narrative of the gospel. Right? Because God does love you. Because God sees you for who you really are. And he sees your pain and doesn't gloss over it. And loves you. And lastly, we need to consider our relationship with people we disagree with. We live in incredibly polarized times. We live in incredibly difficult season, right? Like, I hate to use the word unprecedented, but here we are. Um, we have a pandemic. The political environment is, in, is intense. And everyone has set up, you know, the battle lines, and you better pick a side. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Do not deny the image of God in those at the other end of the spectrum. See, the moment you begin to see people only as categories and opinions and things that you disagree with is the moment that you have departed from being in relationship with God himself. And I only have to use what I know about my own story, and that was God found me in sin, and yet he moved toward me in Jesus and redeemed me from it. He didn't let the, the, the vast gulf between us, the gulf created by my sin, the gulf of being born into sin, separating me from him. And many of us need to learn that it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. Because my allegiance is to God first, not a political party or a system. Amen. 
family, it's little things, little ways that the lies of the devil creep in and begin to unsettle us and unsettle our relationship with God. Please, family, please pay attention. Hebrews says, watch out for your soul. Paul says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are always under attack. We are in a battle. And we cannot be complacent. Let's pray. Father, um, what great promises that you give us. Promises of being happy. Promises of flourishing. Promises of prosperity. Promises of being known by you. I think those are really all the ways that we want to be cared for as humans and you offer it to us in yourself. Lord, it's hard when we have to say no to people that we love. It's hard for us to make those kind of hard decisions to move out of a, a, a system, out of a place where we're trapped and into your blessing. But I pray, God, that somebody would find courage tonight to say no. That they would see that you are good and you are kind and what you offer is true and real. I pray, Lord, that they would choose you over staying in relationships that are robbing their soul of life. God, I pray that they would turn, that they would repent of their sin. I pray these things in Jesus' name.